Welcome to Prayers and Ponderings, a podcast of the Heartland Conference of the United Church of Christ. I'm Conference Minister Rev. Dave Long Higgins, and I'm delighted you have found this invitation to a precious pause for occasional prayers and other ponderings that we hope will deepen your sense of God's loving presence and hopefully offer some wisdom from a wide variety of voices along the way. We're delighted you're here and look forward to sharing more with you. And now, the precious pause. Before I read the scripture for today, I would like to introduce you to our preacher who chose this passage from Acts for his sermon, the Reverend Dr. Jack Sullivan, Jr. Before I get to the formal biographical sketch, you need to know that Jack and Dave are former office mates. Jack serves as the executive director of the Ohio Council of Churches, which shared the office suite on Bush Boulevard with the then Ohio Conference (laughs) of the United Church of Christ. What a difference one little word makes. And it was there, sharing the kitchenette space and the copier and the college-sized refrigerator with the cooled cans of soda and water, and with the red Martin Luther statue gazing over the common space, that their friendship grew quickly as they began their new calls to ministry in 2018. When the conference decided to close the office space, we had many conversations during our pandemic evening walks about Dave's grief, not over leaving the space, but about losing those frequent conversations and contact with Jack. I did remind Dave that they could talk on the phone (laughs) or Zoom or even be safe and maybe meet for lunch which they do with more frequency than I think I even know. Jack is originally from Cleveland and an ordained minister in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. His degree from Ohio University is in interpersonal communication. Jack received his MDiv from Lexington Theological Seminary in Kentucky and a DMIN in Economic and Social Justice from United Theological Seminary in Dayton, where he studied with Dr. Otis Moss Jr. and the late Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor. In 1997, Jack's sister Jennifer was murdered in Cleveland, Ohio. This connection to cycles of violence is at the heart of his anti-death penalty advocacy. So the following pieces of his resume take on new meaning when you understand that personal loss. Jack is the former executive director of Murder Victims Families for Reconciliation. He currently is the president of the board of Journey of Hope from Violence to Healing, a national co-victims-led anti-death penalty organization. He serves as the co-president of the Disciples Justice Action Network. He is immediate past president of the governing board of Ohioans to Stop Executions, He's a member of the Global Advisory Council of Restorative Justice International and a former member of the steering committee of the France-based World Coalition Against the Death Penalty. 
So far in 2022, Jack was the Beachy Peace, Justice, and Reconciliation Lecturer at Indiana's Goshen College. He received the Death Penalty Abolition Award by Restorative Justice International and attended the 11th Assembly of the World Council of Churches in Germany just last month. Last year, he presented the Keeney Peace Lecture at Ohio's Bluffton University. In 2020, Governor Mike DeWine and the state of Ohio's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Holiday Commission awarded him the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Social Justice Award. There are more awards. There are additional graduate studies and honorary degrees. He has authored contributions to multiple books. Another one will be released this fall. He's written op-eds and been published in face-based publications, both in print and online. Prior to being called to the Ohio Council of Churches, Jack served as the senior pastor of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Finley. During that pastorate, he served as a board member of the former Ohio Conference of the United Church of Christ on the board of directors representing his denomination. His previous calls include serving in regional ministry positions in the Disciples of Christ in the Northwest and Pennsylvania regions. And as you heard, those of you who are with us this morning, Jack served as the chaplain and an interpreter and a teacher for the group of individuals from this conference of which Dave was a part on their pilgrimage pilgrimage to some of the significant sites in Alabama that were key during the civil rights movement. Jack is husband to one of the members of our national UCC staff, Sakina Hamlin, Minister for Economic Justice. He is a father, son, friend, pastor, teacher, and in a few moments we will get to hear the gifts of his preaching. We thank you, Jack, for being here with the Heartland Conference and the celebration of this ministerial call of your friend, Dave. And now hear this word chosen by Jack for our reflection this afternoon from Acts chapter four. The next day, their rulers, elders and scribes, assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who was sick and are being asked how this man has been healed, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. This ends the reading and the hearing of this good news. Thanks be to God. To my brother Dave, John Dohauer, and denominational leaders, ecumenical guests, all delegates and who are assembled here this afternoon, including my civil rights pilgrimage friends. Grace and peace to you all in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. 
Beth, thank you for such a creative introduction and um, your pastoral tones uh, came through loudly and clearly as you introduced me and I, I felt so warm. Thank you very much and honored. Thank you very much. And to Dave, my partner in ministry, my former sweet mate, my brother in lunch. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the honor of serving as preacher for this milestone event in the life of Christ Church in general and your church in particular and for you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, uh, I don't have words that are adequate to express my inner joy for you gifting me with this honor. But I will say again, thank you so very, very much. And I love you. And I'm honored to be with you and all here this afternoon. I feel so very much at home among you all. And I do know several of you. <laughs> And, and I met several more of you uh, this day. Some of you I met in this very room before COVID, you know, BC. <laughs> I am privileged to report to you that, as you heard Beth state, I was on the UCC National or General Board that voted in the God is Still Speaking priority. I voted yes. <laughs> and I, I knew I loved your church even then. And I'm so grateful that our two denominations work so closely with one another in global ministries, several regions and conferences work together. And of course, scores of congregations are united across the United States. And so it's a joy to be able to make those declarations and to live in this space with all of you here this afternoon. My regional pastor is here, Reverend Alan Harris, and he is symbolic of the Disciples UCC partnership that means so very much to all of us. Friends, today as we eavesdrop on the text from Acts, it becomes abundantly clear to us that much of ministry, the Christian ministry that we all celebrate and affirm, has always been carried out in a climate of skepticism. This is especially true when ministry is conducted in ways that challenge unethical social standards, inequitable cultural codes, and unjust theological traditions, all in the life-giving name of Jesus. Just before this passage, Peter and John, on their way to church, encountered a man who had been unable to walk from the time of his birth. This man had been known to hang around the temple asking for alms, you know, money, 
contributions to his own internal revenue system. Now, Peter and John made a decision to do more than give this man money or an otherwise temporary or technical solution to his long-range problem. Instead of giving the man silver or gold, which they did not have anyway, Peter and John recognized that this was an adaptive change moment. And they gave the man what they did have, an offer for the man to get up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And of course, the man got up and walked. In fact, he did more than walk. He jumped up and began to praise God, thus becoming the founding member of the Pentecostal church. <laughs> A simple, inspirational act, yes? Of course it was for the man and those of us who read the text with 21st century eyes. However, all of the people who stopped over to Solomon's porch to check out this occasion experienced shock because, well, it was one thing to give people money and move on, and quite another to heal people so that they could move on and make advances in their lives. Peter and John had, in fact, caused a stir, a 7.0 cultural and religious earthquake. And it was not soon to go away, for the aftershocks would reverberate for generations. As the aftershocks continued, Peter and John faced the ultimate questions. Who do you think you are that you can come here and disrupt our way of life? Who are you that you can recognize and heal a man whom we've been comfortable ignoring for years, hoping he would just go away? These kinds of questions caused Peter to rise up and speak out. Peter. Yes, that Peter, who once had no courage when to save his life denied even knowing Jesus. This Peter found courage to rise up and speak up, saying to the people, don't stare at us as if by our own power or piety we made the man walk. This was God's doing, you know, the God of Jesus. You know Jesus, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead? That Jesus. Well, Peter's sermon, along with his activist work with John, work that led to 5,000 new Christians, earned Peter and John a free night in jail. Well, they would be interrogated by Holy Land security 
elders and high priests. Not bad for a day's work, yes? <laughs> Have you ever lived out the faith under clouds of skepticism? I believe that we who believe in freedom, justice, and equity, we are living in such a moment. I believe that whenever the church has risen up and engaged in risky or controversial pursuits that boldly and unapologetically reveal the loving, healing, and life-giving properties of God, people have gone out of their way to challenge its authenticity, authority, and accuracy. For it's one thing to give the cup-carrying woman at the intersection a dollar when her sign says, we'll work for food, and quite another to help her get enrolled in job training classes, and quite another thing to follow her lead and shattering the glass ceiling that blocked her path to achievement. And quite another to demand reparations for the generational wealth she was denied due to historic patterns of structural discrimination. Who are we that we can do such things, people might ask. Somewhere in the not-so-fine print of our faith are descriptions of these and other actions that the faith equips us to do because Jesus calls us to do them. And yet these are the things that are the very hardest for us to do because they are risky and controversial. Yet somehow God continues to call women and men and youth into ministry. And we continue to take the risk, you and I, of living the faith in the name of Jesus. Now to be sure, we are products of Western society with its own set standards of what constitutes legitimacy and validity. We are part of the so-called mainline church tradition, people who built and helped build and maintain many of these Western standards. We are part of the collective that insists that people who teach should earn appropriate college degrees and certification. We demand that those who practice medicine earn a medical degree and pass an array of examinations and even continue their education. We expect that those who practice law would have earned a law degree, passed the bar examination in at least one state, all of these standards help convince an otherwise skeptical society of the validity and the authenticity of those who enter these important fields. 
And so it is with the church and the important field of ministry. In order to ensure that clergy understand the Bible, church history, theology, and the art of preaching, and ways to successfully baptize somebody, <laughs> we ask ministerial candidates to go to divinity school or seminary. This is a good thing. Yet one cannot help but wonder if we also ask them, ask us, to go to seminary, graduate seminary, mind you, so that they, we, may brandish a sense of legitimacy in the public arena. It would not be unfair to suggest that in some cases, many in the church at times have confused academic credentialing with theological credibility. And many have confused religious rights with religious readiness. In some cases, churches have defined their work by party affiliation. And then there are some who undergird their work by adhering to the fifth gospel writer. His name is Robert. <laughs> and his incredible rules of order. All of these we do, in many cases, more than commit to prayer and the bold, risky public proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, a gospel that transcends politics, transforms policies, and lets us know that the church really does belong to God. What am I saying here this afternoon? I'm saying that in the interest of social legitimacy, public acceptance, and neighborhood comfort, we have sometimes jettisoned the true source of our legitimacy, the ultimate source of our being, the reasons we are church and go into ministry, and that is the living, loving, and liberating power of God made known through Jesus Christ. And when this happens, the church runs the risk of operating more as a club whose meeting times may vary, but are always on Sunday morning. When we downplay our faith in the interest of social stability, we run the risk of becoming builders of a church whose foundation is inherently weak because it lacks its cornerstone, Jesus Christ. When this happens, it becomes far easier for us to go to church than to be church. And Easter's joy and Pentecost power find themselves trapped 
inside liturgical vestments and paraments instead of being liberated and permitted to order our lives and choreograph our ministries. And when this happens, we may find ourselves, you and I, adhering to a treatise of church autonomy that gives us the illusion that we are accountable to no one, including Jesus Christ. I'm a student of bumper sticker religion. A few years ago, I saw a bumper sticker that, while not associated with the church, seems to speak volumes about some parts of our contemporary churches. The bumper sticker I saw as I sped by this car on the freeway read simply, it's all about me. It's all about me. Now, to be sure, I'm exceedingly grateful that Peter and John chose not to affix that bumper sticker to the hems of their garments. When they appeared in court in Jerusalem to answer charges over their healing and preaching about Jesus, they were asked, by what power or by what name did you heal the man in the temple? Their answer, if I may paraphrase, listen, rulers and people and elders, it's not about us. It's not about us. Let it be known to all of you that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but it has become the cornerstone. So today, we gather to install our brother Dave as conference minister. A great day this is. Dave, you have incredible credentials. You have impressive degrees from impactful institutions, and you have served with distinction in every arena of ministry. However, on top of all of your qualifications is the clear and present truth that the process of discernment, spiritual discernment, through that process, you have been called by God and this assembly to do ministry to and with and on behalf of the Heartland Conference of the United Church of Christ. And how glad we are to gather with you this afternoon as people who have sensed and experienced the very presence of God in you. As you have been and are a leader among leaders and a servant among servants, all in the name of Jesus. 
and as your lunch brother, former sweet mate, who spent a lot of quality time with you, I can say what all of you in this room already know. Dave, your ministry invokes and radiates the presence of God. When we hear you address the Holy One as love in your public prayers, you touch hearts, my heart, all of our hearts. And in so doing, you remind us of why we go to Sunday school or why we went to divinity school and why it is that laity and clergy engage in ministry. It is not because of some warrior dominating God imagery that supports interposition and insurrection. No, no. But the life-redeeming, public policy-transforming power of love that we are privileged to receive and to share along with you in the name of Jesus. In just a few minutes, Dave, you're going to leave this place, this mountaintop experience, and re-enter the valleys of leadership and service to, with, and on behalf of the amazing youth and adults, laity and clergy of the Heartland Conference. Yet the geographic multi-state borders of this great conference will not serve as a boundary for your leadership, but a runway for it into broader involvement for your sense of church and servanthood will plunge you more deeply into leadership platforms and partnerships within ecumenical interfaith and civic realms, all in the name of Jesus. Now, as with Peter and John, when you stand in the public square on behalf of congregants and colleagues and with partners from other churches and faiths to engage in the healing work of demanding social justice or calling for public kindness or reminding fellow human beings that God is God and they are not, you will be challenged. People who have become accustomed to living as curators of political disenfranchisement or custodians of ill-conceived white supremacy and gender-based hate will demand to know by what power or by what name you are doing these things. Yet because of your sense of call and the investitures of your beloved church and the collective body of Christ, you, Dave, will be able to rise up and offer without anxiety and without apology that you live and love and move and have your being in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
during an age of gerrymandered majorities, toxic white Christian nationalism, and xenophobia that masquerades as patriotism, it will be in the name of Jesus that you call the church to rise up, reject autonomy, and confess that as parts of the body of Christ, we need each other across denominational lines and across zip codes. Together, we need each other, and together we will live as an embodiment of the love of God as called for in the epic words of Father Peter Schultes, who wrote, we will work with each other. We will work side by side and will guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. And the world will know we are Christians, not because we have stained glass, not because we have creeds and credentials, organs with pipes, or pews with cushions, but they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know that we are Christians by our love. God bless you, my brother Dave. God bless you and keep you. Amen. We hope that this space for prayer and pondering has been helpful to you in some way. The Heartland Conference trusts that the Holy Spirit empowers us to inspire, connect, equip, and support one another to grow as faithful disciples and responsible stewards following Jesus' call to extravagantly love all God's children and creation. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, we are glad you have journeyed with us, if only for a little while. If you'd like to find out more about our life together in the Heartland Conference, we invite you to visit our website at heartlanducc.org. Blessings on you.